Well, good morning. Good morning. You all well? Wonderful. It's great to see you all. It really is. It's a privilege. Always a privilege to be able to bring the word. And uh, before we get into it, I want to tell you a little story. Not a story. It's actually an article I recently read about Catherine Kuhlman. How many know who she was? I encourage you to read a couple of her books, Daughter of Destiny, and there's a couple of others. I recently found this out. When Catherine Kuhlman passed away in 1976, all the power went out in an 800-bed hospital. A heartbeat should have read irregular and then moved to flatline, but her heart had been fine, although her other organs were failing. But she never went into an irregular heartbeat. Catherine was gone in the blink of an eye. Fifteen minutes after she passed away, the brand-new nurse, her first day on the job, was an unbeliever, went in to take her pulse. Catherine wasn't cold. She wasn't warm. She was hot. The air in her room was thick with the fragrance of roses. Not a few roses, millions of roses. The head nurse in charge came onto the unit to write up the time of death. The time was 1.13 a.m. on February the 20th. She chastened the new nurse for allowing roses in the ICU floor. Flowers aren't allowed in the ICU. The scent of roses didn't fill one room or one floor, but four floors of the hospital were overtaken by the scent of roses. The scent then permeated across under the pass that was connected to the hospital and then across the street and into the adjoining hospital. There were no roses on the floor or in Catherine's room. But that's where the fragrance originated from. The new nurse said that she and the other nurses could barely stand in the room because of the presence of the Holy Spirit was so overwhelming. The weight of glory. When they checked the notes from the previous nurse, she had scribbled Catherine Kuhlman's last words and her last request. She said, I will die on February the 20th at 1.13 a.m. Please have only roses at my funeral. The new unbelieving nurse dropped in a chair weeping, having been touched by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, to leave this world in that kind of glory, to bring just one more into the kingdom at your death, and to be greeted with roses. Catherine was met with millions of roses and the voice of her first love. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that an amazing story? When I read it, I just was, I mean, I have read her books and I have watched on TV some clips that have her. She was a very eccentric woman, but an amazing woman of God, really was. So I read that to encourage you, really to encourage you. Even in our passing, God does wonderful things. Because it's not dependent on us, it's dependent on Him. That's why. I want to talk a little bit about the faithfulness of God, or God is a faithful God. I'm not too sure how to put it. God is incredibly faithful, and I loved some of the worship and the songs we went through today because they touched on that. So turn with you, if you can, to the book of Joshua, if you've got a Bible, but it will go up on the back, hopefully, in faith. So 
the book of Joshua 21. Okay, 21 verse 43. If you have in a Bible and need to get there, it says this. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. Not one. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was for fault. And we know the history of the Israelites really had ups and downs. They were not a faithful lot, but God was faithful to watch over his word. Go with me to Psalm 89, if you can. Psalm 89. Verse 1 and 2. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known. Or the NIV puts, I mean, the new king, I will sing of the Lord's great mercy forever. Love and mercy. They interchange those words depending on what translation. Because in his love is mercy, and his mercy displays his love. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love or your mercy stands firm forever. And that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Verse 8. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. God can't be faithful. God is faithful. It's who he is. It's like the Bible says, God is love. God is spirit. God is faithful. And even in our unfaithfulness, it doesn't determine whether God's going to be faithful or not. He's going to be faithful. Ongoingly. A.W. Tozer should come up in the back. said this, God being who he is cannot cease to be what he is. And being what he is, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and immutable. So all his words and acts must be and must remain faithful. Men become unfaithful out of desire or fear or weakness or loss of interest or because of some strong influence from without. Obviously, none of these forces can affect God in any way. He is his own reason for all he is and does. He cannot be compelled from without, but ever speaks and acts from within himself by his own sovereign will, as it pleases him. Upon God's faithfulness rests a whole hope of future blessedness. Only as he is faithful will his covenant stand and his promises be honored. Only as we have complete assurance that he is faithful, may we live in peace and look forward with assurance to the life to come. Every heart can make its own application of this truth and draw from it such conclusions as the truth suggests, and its own needs bring into focus. The tempted, the anxious, the fearful, the discouraged may all find new hope and good cheer in the knowledge that a heavenly Father is faithful. He will ever be true to his pledged word. The hard-pressed sons of the covenant may be sure that he will never remove his loving kindness from them, nor suffer his faithfulness to fail. 
A.W. Tozer. He is faithful. And that's what I want to touch on. Very simple. In the book of Lamentations, it's interesting, the book of Lamentations which Jeremiah wrote. He wrote the two books, Jeremiah and then Lamentations. Jeremiah is looking, he's prophesying, unfortunately, to the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah. And he weeps a lot because of that. And the book of Lamentations is looking back to already what's happened. And so he's crying. He's called the weeping prophet. He's weeping, but it's the heart of God that is upon him that causes him to weep. And so in the book of Lamentations, right in the middle of this book where he's absolutely weeping because of what's happened and the destruction that's come to God's people, whom God had called, who God had loved, but they chose to walk away from the Lord. And so and hence, that's why the destruction came. And in the book of Lamentations, verse 21, it says this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Now, I know the scripture, but when I read it, it's like something went ding inside of me. They are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. So God is encouraging us to come every morning and find mercy to start the day. Every morning. They are new every morning. You don't need yesterday's mercy. You need new today. What an encouraging word. No matter how much I've blown or what I've done, His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And as I said, Jeremiah is weeping over the condition of Israel, but he remembers that God's faithfulness will still fulfill his promises to his people. And I know in my own life and my own experience, there's a couple of occasions where God has really touched my heart and I've felt myself weeping for a situation or an event. Twice it happened in Canada. Once I had a dream back in South Africa about young people, and the other time was when I was coming to this nation. I stood up in the church back in South Africa, we had just been here, and I said, Michelle and I were in the United States of America, and as I said, United States of America, I broke. My heart broke for this nation. It wasn't me, it was God. And so I knew we were coming. I knew we were coming. It grabbed my heart for this nation. And that's how Jeremiah was. But in it, the Lord's mercies are new every morning. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God who called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus our Lord, is faithful. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised... Is faithful. The New King James said, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. So many times we think it's up to us. Dwayne said something last week when he preached, Just keep saying yes. Just keep saying yes. Just keep saying yes. 
And it's in our yeses that he then shows his faithfulness to us. Throughout the Bible, God would break into the lives of people and invite them into relationship with him and give them promises of great things he would do in them and through them, but very seldom fulfilled immediately. We all know that. For us today, it is through the revelation of Jesus Christ on the cross. It comes through Jesus and what is done for us. That's how it comes to us, because of the price paid by Jesus. God sent his son to us that he could be with us so he could live through us. So God invites us. An invitation goes out as he breaks into our life. He came to the disciples as they were fishermen. He said, come follow me. It was an invitation to Peter and John. And the next verse says, they immediately put their nets aside. That's very interesting. They immediately put their nets aside and said yes. And they did not know the journey they were about to enter on. Even in their own insecurities and even in the stuff they had to deal with, God was faithful. We say, I gave my life to Jesus. And the emphasis on what I did, it should not be like it. It should be, he invited me into a relationship with him. And I just said, yes. The emphasis is on what he's done, not what I've done. Because that's how it actually happens. It's his call and his faithfulness. He initiates ongoingly in our life. He initiates revelation. And goingly invites us into more of what he has for us. It's ongoing. We simply say, yes, no, wait, I'm not sure, I'm working it out. And God waits patiently. It's amazing how he does that. And I know in my own life, there are times that I've just said, yes, 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 yes. But there were some times where I knew what my yes meant. Because what I had been through. And I knew if I said yes now, it could mean some of the stuff that I had been through before. And I knew the pain of that. Who knows what I'm talking about? Because I wanted my yes to be a yes. And I had to take a while to say yes. Just being honest. There are often aspects of character that have to be worked out before we are ready to handle what God wants to do in and through us. Although God gives us promises and gifts to encourage and inspire us, there's a process we go through. Jesus was born to reign, but he himself went through a process of learning obedience to his mother, his father, and his heavenly father. Go to Hebrews chapter 5, so you can see what I'm talking about. It should come up at the back, as I said. Hebrews 5. It's a very interesting verse, this. Hebrews 5, verse 8, says this. I'll go to verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he, hop, he offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. In other words, one complete. Once he's completed what he meant to do, he became the source of eternal life or eternal salvation for all who obey him. So Jesus had to learn never to earn. We don't learn to earn. Obedience to learn, not obedience to earn. 
because we can't earn from God. So there was a journey between Bethlehem and the right hand of the Father for Jesus. He was not born on the throne, but in a manger. There was a process that carried Jesus into all authority, and we are subject to that same process. Legally, as a believer, we begin to rule and reign the moment we're born again. But experientially, it's a process, and the faithfulness of God is the key to that process. I can rely on him to do what he needs to do in me, as I keep saying yes to him. I keep saying. So I'm going to look very briefly at the life of Abram. Can we do that? Because he's our father of faith. And when God calls, when God came to Abram, book of Genesis doesn't tell us this, but the book of Acts tells us this. If you go, it'll come up on the back, Acts chapter 7. Very briefly, just the life of Abram. It's always an encouragement to me, this man. Him and Peter. Acts chapter 7, verse 2. I'll get there today, sometime. Acts 7 verse 2 says this. To this he replied, brothers, this is Stephen speaking, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abram while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go and I'll give a land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Iran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave it to him. He gave him no inheritance there, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abram had no child. Now if you go to the book of Genesis, chapter 11, And I often wonder how much of the time Moses spent with the Lord for the Lord to download all these five books to him. Because there's detail in here that it's incredible detailed. Genesis 11 verse um, 27 says this. Terah became the father of Abram, Noah, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of Chaldees in the land of his birth. Abram and Noah both married. The name of Sarah's wife, sorry, the name of Abram's wife was Sariah, and the name of Noah's wife was Malachi. She was the daughter of Aaron, the father of both. Uh, can't pronounce half these names. But it's interesting, verse 30, it says, Now Sarah was barren. Right in the middle of that, it just says, Sarah was barren. She had no children. That's the start. That's where the call originally came to Abram, although it doesn't tell us in Genesis. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's house. I will go to a land I will show you. But he had been stuck in Iran for 25 years. He left the earth, Chaldees, 25 years. And then at the age of 75, the Lord came to him, Genesis chapter 12, and began to speak to him about the promise. God was inviting Abram to learn to trust God's ability to overcome the limitation of Abram's humanness. That God would and could fulfill his word based on who he is, faithful. It was not based on Abram's strengths and abilities. Actually, 
on his known and felt weaknesses. Abram was not required to contribute anything, anything in responding to God's call. He was to bring nothing but himself. And just say yes. The chapters in the book of Genesis that describe the life of Abram do not list his achievements. If anything, they list his weaknesses and failings. God went on repeating and repeating and repeating his initial promise to Abram ten times. Sometimes adding more detail, but always continued to encourage Abram to keep on saying yes to his promises and that God will fulfill his promise to Abram. Ten times. God comes again and again and repeats stuff to us. Sometimes adding a little bit more detail or expanding it. God repeated the same promise ten times to Abram. He kept taking Abram back to the promise again and again and again. God would do what he said. That's what he said. Remind you of Hebrews 10. Let us hold unservingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And even in delays, and even in our frustrations, and even in our tests of adversity, and even in our tests of failure, and even in our tests of temptation and character flaws, God is faithful. God is faithful. So some of the scripture will come up on the back. He's 75 years old, Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, or make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The gospel spoken right there. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. He was 75 years old. Genesis 12. This is the third time the Lord comes to him. 6 and 7. Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there, which was a good thing to do. And called on the name of the Lord. Genesis 12, 8. From there he went on towards the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. Now it's interesting because I'm not going to show you the next scripture. Between Genesis 12, 8 and the next chapter, Abram's one of his failings come through. A famine hits the land. And he doesn't stay where God has him. He goes to Egypt. And he spends a while in Egypt and he lies about his wife. She's my sister. And yet he comes out of Egypt a little more of a wealthy man than he went in. But when he comes back, if you read it, the first thing he did, he retraced his steps because he got kicked out of Egypt. The first thing he did when he came back, where he had left, he went and found the place where he built an altar and continued to call on the name of the Lord. He never did that while he was in Egypt. And so sometimes when we veer off 
a tangent. God will bring us back to where he wants us to be. We want to go here, and the Lord keeps bringing us back to where he wants us to be. Who knows what I'm speaking about? Yeah, we all know that. Because of his faithfulness, people. Because of his faithfulness to us. Because of his faithfulness to us. Genesis 13, verse 12. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had departed, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring. Fourth time. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anybody could count the dust, then your offspring be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land I'm giving you. It's the first time the Lord says, do something. So I removed his tents and went to live in the great trees of Moriah, and there he built an altar to the Lord. It's very interesting, because when he veered into Egypt and he came back and he called upon the name of the Lord, the very next test he had was with Lot. And they had a part. And Abram could have said, I will take the fertile land. He didn't. He now started to say, God, you said you would give me the land. I'm not going to go and grab it. You're going to give it to me. So I'll let Lot choose. Because I trust you. It's a wonderful test that he went through. Genesis 15. He's 83 years old. 83 years old. So eight years have passed since Genesis 12, 83. Okay, we will. That's obviously not very good notes, so we'll leave them over there. Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. But he said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit is Eleazar. That's his servant. Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's the second time he said, look, as far as you can see. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. Something shifted inside him. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to me, bring me a heifer, a goat, and he, gets, he cuts covenant with him. That's what he does. We don't have time to go through it. And in verse 13, it says, the Lord said to him, he put him in a great sleep. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, verse 13 says, the Lord said to him, know for certain. That word know for certain means something happened inside of Abram that God did. Know for certain there's something that was cemented in him. Yet he was asleep. 
because God is faithful. And he knew he needed it at that time. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in their own country. And then he goes on to tell him a few things and to begin to enlarge what he had originally said to him. And then in chapter 16, Abram and Sarah, because they knew it came from his body, try to make it happen. Sarah comes to Abram, you know the story, and says, yes, Hagar, sleep with her. She'll become a surrogate mother. It'll be my son. So Abram agrees to it. It's amazing how we try and help God out. Isn't it amazing how we do that? It's amazing how we try and help him out. It's like, God, let me help you a little bit here to fulfill your word. So after waiting 10 years, because they waited 10 years from when God came to him previously, 10 years ago, 10 years. So they said, let us do something about this. I'll sleep with this lady. And she had become a surrogate mother. So Genesis 17, the first time he comes. Then Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me blameless means wholeheartedly. I will confirm my covenant between you and me and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. And you will be the father of many nations. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. For I have made you, past tense, I have made you, past tense, a father of many nations. Hasn't happened yet. But I've made you a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. That includes you and me. Because the law wasn't given. And we live under that. For generations to come. And the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and descendants after you. And I will be their God. Let's jump down to verse 15. God also said to Abram, As for Sarah or Sariah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sariah. Her name will be Sarah. He changes her name. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. This is the first time God told it's going to come from this lady. So he names the father. He names the mother. He names the child. He names the time now. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations and kings will come from her. Abram fell face down and he laughed. Isn't that interesting? We all know Sarah laughed. But Abram also laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abram said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear your son and you will call him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? He laughs. God laughs. He laughs. Abram laughed. Sarah laughed. God is going to have the last laugh in this. <laughs> I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants to come. And then he says, as for Ishmael, I will bless him, but my presence, my covenant 
or go with Isaac, your son. There's a difference between blessing and presence. When Jesus walked to earth, there were three groups of people he ministered to the religious people, the crowds, and his disciples. We know what he did to the religious people. The crowds he blessed, he healed, he touched, but his presence went with his disciples. His disciples saw things the crowd never saw. Lord, we want your presence. Blessing will flow. We don't just want your blessing. We want your presence. Your presence. Your presence. We want to be with you. We want to see you. Not so much what you do. You. Because you will do it. That is the heart of what we're trying to do here. And so he repeated the promise, but now he named the father and the mother. He gave new names to both. He gave a new covenant. He said, you'll be the father of many nations. And as I said for the first time, he said, it'll come from Sarah. We're coming to an end. Chapter 18, verse 9. Where is your wife? So the Lord comes to Abram again. Where is your wife? They asked. This is when in chapter 18... There's three visitors that come to visit Abram. He's sitting out by his tent. You can go read it. And it's like he's waiting for these visitors. It's in the heat of the day. And it's two angels and the Lord. Where is, where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will bear a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old. Amazing how the scripture keeps telling us these things. They were old, well advanced in years, couldn't have children. They keep repeating it. It's like God keeps repeating it to us to make sure we get it. I am faithful. I will do it. She was old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. After I'm worn out and my master is old, now we'll have this pleasure. Then the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. As he had said, as he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abram in old age at a very time God had promised him. Abram gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abram circumcised him as God commanded him. Abram was a hundred years old, again we said, and his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. God is now laughing in a good way, not in a bad sense. And she added, who would have said to Abram and Sarah, you would nurse children, yet yeah, I have borne him a son in my old age. And then the Lord comes back to Abram a couple of times. We're running out of time. And then in Genesis 22, I didn't, don't think I put that scripture up. God, God came to test Abram. 
after all these ten times of repeating the promise, and we know the story, God comes and says, take your only son who I'm promised to you ten times and go and sacrifice him. And Abram does. We know the story. Angel withholds his hand. Because Abram said, the Bible says, he believed in his heart God would raise him from the dead. And finally learn to trust in God's faithfulness. And then God takes his promise to an oath. When God promises you something and takes it to an oath, there's nothing that's going to stop him doing it. Nothing. He swears by himself. Doesn't swear. He can only swear by I swear by myself I will do this. He made an eternal covenant with his son, Jesus Christ. And he swore by himself that Jesus would be a priest in ever, forever in the order of Melchizedek. That he would die for you and I, bear your sin and my sin, and set you free and set me free. And you'll come back and rescue us one day to be with him. That's an oath been taken between the Father and the Son. God is faithful. This is how the Hebrews puts it. And I love this. This is how Hebrews tells this whole story that I've just told you. This is how the book of Hebrews puts it. Hebrews 11. By faith, Abram, when called to go a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. By faith, Abram, even though he was past age and serious self was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. He considered him faithful who had made the promise. Nothing in here about them laughing. Nothing in here about their failures. Nothing in here about his lying. He was a man of faith. That's all that's recorded in the book of Hebrews for us. Because when you come to the Lord and I come to the Lord, the Bible says the love of God, there's no measure, no net, no depth, no height, neither breadth nor width, neither angels nor demons can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus, neither the present or the future. There's no word of the past because the past is done with. Never live from your past, people, please. Don't let your past hamshackle you into the future. Don't let what you did yesterday even hold you today. His mercies are new every morning. Live from that place. Every day I'm encouraging you. His mercies are new every morning. He is a faithful God. I want to end if I can. We have, I want to have a bit more time. I've had the privilege of walking with the Lord just over 30 years. And I can testify to his faithfulness. And my law and my wife, I want to thank my wife because she journeyed with me in this journey of learning and trusting God. She willingly participated. She willingly gave up stuff. She willingly laid stuff down so we could journey this walk together. And in all our failings, and there were many, and our insecurities and our unfaithfulness, God was always faithful to us. I had an incredible salvation. 
not that it's more incredible than others. And it's very humbling to know that I was not always faithful to God, but he was always faithful to us. And Psalm 145 says, I will tell of the Lord's greatness. I will make known to the next generation of his might and power. After I got saved nine months later, we went into full-time youth ministry down in Cape Town. Before I got saved, I was earning $15,000 a month in 1983. I was doing very well financially, but I gambled probably 14,000 away every month. But anyway, <laughs> be that as it may. And then God rescued me. He invaded my life. He really did, people. You kinda, I had no background. I'd never read the Bible. And God invaded my life. And nine months later, we were in full-time youth ministry. I hadn't even read the Bible through. And we went from earning $15,000 a month to 1,000 rand a month. But we said yes to the Lord because he had captured our hearts. It wasn't us. He had captured our hearts. And down in Cape Town, there were seasons where we had nothing. We had no food. My poor kids had to wear shoes until they were worn out because we didn't really have, but God taught us to trust him. He really taught us to trust him. And just before we got the call to go to Cape Town, because I'd done well in the last year, I got saved in May, and so from May through to December, I had a phenomenal year business-wise. And I'd won in many awards. And the following year, they were going to send Michelle and I to separate nations, all expenses paid, first class, etc. But the trip was in April, and the church in Cape Town wanted us to come in February. So I had to make a choice. So we laid those strips down, and I said, Lord, we'll go. Only because he captured our heart. It wasn't because of us. And when I did that, the Lord said, I will now send you to the nations. I will send you to the nations. No man will send you. I will send you. And in Cape Town, God took, and took us through a lot. He provided for us. I don't know if you want to come and say a few things quickly. Uh, so we can go a little over time if you can give us five minutes. Just whatever, just one or two stories Hi. in Cape Town. Um, in Cape Town, we really, as Ken said, had nothing, but we had made a decision that we would trust in the Lord. We knew that if we had a need, I could call my father or my brother at any time, and that need would be provided. There's no way they'd let us battle. So they never knew. We never shared a single thing with them. And God is so good. The one day, we, had, we hadn't had a lot of food. We'd kept a bit back, and Ken and I were not eating because there was no food. The kids thought we were fasting willingly. It wasn't really our choice at that point. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, we, we had to go to um, a potluck at the church. And I said to the Lord, we need something to take. And anyway, that, I won't go into that. But God gave us a little something. I found some money in Ken's pocket, suit pocket, that I went and got something to take with. We come home that evening and all the youth were always gathered there and we had a big event at the school the next day and they said to us, um, we're all going to come for lunch after that. We're coming straight over. And I looked at them and I said, well, whatever we have, we will give you. And we had nothing. We had nothing. That night, later on, when the youth leave, somebody comes over and said, listen, we've got all the leftovers from, from this event. Do you want it? 
So we had that. It was wonderful. We had eaten, and now we had food for the kids to take to school and for tomorrow night and all the youth when they came. While they were sitting there the next day, there was a knock on the door, and the pastor gave us 50 rand that had been given to us, somebody for us. His faithfulness. His faithfulness. Now, it might seem so little, but it was teaching us to trust him in the details. We were going on vacation one year, and this was, for me, an amazing thing. I felt the Lord say, we, want, we wanted to go on vacation. I felt the Lord say, tell your kids you don't have money to go. I would never have done that. They were little. And I shared with the kids, if we want to go on vacation, we don't have money. We need to pray. So we prayed. Next morning, I found the kids were outside playing. They're a bit quiet. I go outside. They put up a table outside the church. We need money for vacation. <laughs> But <laughs> they're selling stuff. They're selling envelopes with the 20 cents written on permanent with the permanent marker. They're selling, they were little. They didn't know. They're selling cans of food of our, out of our cupboard. They're selling all the stuff. Anyway, I phoned a friend of mine because I felt, I, I knew I could, they were trying. Their heart was good. I phoned a friend. I said, please come buy them out. <laughs> so she came. That was the end of that. Anyway, that year, you see, God wasn't only teaching Ken and I. That year, we went to three five-star vacations. We went to a five-star hotel as a family. We went to um, a private game lodge, which anybody who goes to Africa knows that's not cheap. And then we were off a timeshare at a brand-new five-star um, resort that just came so amazingly. We didn't pay a cent. We didn't pay a cent. Like three five-star areas of accommodation, three weeks of pure bliss. That is our God, yeah. how faithful he is. There's so many. I remember one time we were sitting and I, the kids were sitting there and it was down in Cape Town and I said, can we have supper? But there was nothing on the table. So they looked at me and they looked at Michelle and I said, well, let's pray. But there was nothing on the table. So as we started to pray, literally somebody knocked on our front door and said, we don't know why, but we thought we were to give you a meal kept happening to us again and again. I cannot tell you how many times. That's where we saw food multiply when we went out and handed to an area that was less fortunate than us, the kids. They had no food. We had made all the food we could and we took some of the young people and we went and handed the food out. But the amount of kids that were there to get food, we didn't have enough food. We saw food multiply as we handed it out. Then when we went to Durban, now the Lord said, I will send you to the nations. And we hadn't been to the nations yet. And in Durban, we were there three years. I felt I needed to go to Taiwan, but we had nothing, as you know. And then I met this businessman, and through me sharing the gospel, he got saved. And he phoned me up, and he said, listen, I want to talk to you and ask you some questions. So I said, sure, by all means. And I read, met him for coffee. He had a jacket on. I'll never forget it. And we sat down for coffee, and he said, he opened his jacket, and he handed out an envelope to me, and he said, this is for you was 10,000 rand to go to Taiwan. So we went to Taiwan. I went to Taiwan three times. It was there that another businessman came to us and said, I don't know why, but I feel I need to give you a sum of money. So he did, and we continued to go to the nations, and we invited other people, and we paid for them to go. I'm short to circuit. Then when we went to Joburg, the Lord sent us to India, to Singapore, to Zimbabwe, six times a year, to Kenya, to Tanzania, to Zambia, to Madagascar, to Malawi, to the Ivory Coast. 
and it was always paid for by someone else. It was there we felt we needed to come to America, but we felt we needed to bring our kids. And I didn't know it was for the future, for their future, but I didn't know it at the time. We just, and so the only car we had, we sold. Everybody said, you're crazy, obviously. But that was a prophetic statement for their future coming down the line, which we didn't know at that time. And when we got back, people gave us a car. We went to Pensacola three times from South Africa, paid for. Went to Kansas City. It was a tough season, that very tough season. But God did not prove himself unfaithful. He kept watching over us. Because provision is one of the ways he'll prove himself faithful. Then when we felt we needed to come to the U.S., and that was also supernatural, in January of 2019, sorry, 2002, January, I woke up one morning, and the Lord said, this is the last year you lead this church. By the end of the year, you're going to hand it over. So I said, okay. You preach differently. I never told anybody. In June of 2002, we came to America. We went to L.A. And on the way back, there was a couple that lived in this town. Leesburg, and we stopped off to visit them. We had never put foot in this town. That was the first time. And it was there that God introduced us to three couples. Three American couples. And it was at that time that the Lord gave me a word for some of them. And obviously that's the way God works. And on the way back in the plane, Michelle said to me, they're going to ask us to come and do a church there. And then I told her about the one in January. And they did. That's how we got you. But when we applied for the visa, we were coming to nothing in a sense. There was a group of people, but it wasn't really an established church. The lawyer said, you will never get the visa, Ken. It's impossible. Applying for our one visa. We handed the church over in December of 2002. We still didn't have our visa. It came through in the middle of January 2003. And that was a supernatural event. The person at the U.S. department in, in Johannesburg asked the wrong question. So I didn't lie to him. I told him the truth, but he asked the wrong question. <laughs> he, he honestly did. You know, he had his finger on something, yeah, and we had to give the name, this name a church. We called it Chesapeake at that stage. And he meant to say, how long has Chesapeake been here? But he didn't. He said, how long has New Covenant Ministries been there? And they had been in this nation 10 years. But he had his name on the name of the church. He had his finger. I could see it through the glass. He asked the wrong question. And I said, 10 years. He said, what? I said, oh, no, then you can go. Stamp. Yeah. <laughs> That's how God works. He's faithful. He really is faithful. And then when we came here, Wonderful. Love this nation. I'll never forget the second year here, Marisia. She sent me an email. She was doing the books then. And she said, Ken, we've got X amount. I think it was $1,500 in the account, but we need to pay. I can't remember. It was like 9000 out. What do I do? So I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I said, just leave it with me for a while. I went to Michelle. I took it. She sent it to me. I put it, I put it on the floor. And I said, Lord, I know you called us here. If I asked a single person that afternoon, somebody phoned and gave $10,000 to the church. God is faithful. 
Remember that email you sent me? Yeah, and then he's been faithful since we've been here. And all the people, there's some of you that were there putting chairs out and taking them down for years and years. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I really do. And God connected our hearts to some generous people in this nation who have looked after us and watched over us. They really have and given to us. And I want to thank them. I honestly do. And then we had to hand this church over. That was the first time in my life I didn't say yes straight away. I'm just being honest. Because I knew I didn't feel I had it in me to go plant another church. And I just knew financially, what are we going to do? It's the first time in my life I've questioned that. I never did my whole life. But eventually I said, okay. And through back and forth process, Clayton took over the church. And when he took over the church, he wasn't involved in that. The elders decided they would give us our income for, I can't remember how many years. But after a while, after a year, I went to the guy who was doing the finance there. And I said, how's the finances of the church going? He said, well, we're not doing very well. So I said, I don't want to receive any more money from that church. You've got to pay those, Clayton and Jen and the others. So they stopped. And then I felt God say, I want you to start a ministry. And I thought, what? Everybody's got a ministry in America. <laughs> Everybody. I said, yeah. I said, no, I don't want to do that. But he wouldn't leave it. He said, start a ministry. We went and asked the accountants. They said, don't. We went and asked, don't. But it wouldn't leave us. I was walking down the WNAD trail. I remember, forget it. So we went through the process of applying for a 501c3. It's a long process. And we started a ministry called Story in the Wells. And we now know that it was God's way of providing a means that people could give to it so we could live. That's how it's happened. And I had to ask some people to come on the board. And people came to me and said, I don't know why, but I feel we're going to give you some money. And people faithfully, I know there's one person that was part of this church that gives $50 to our ministry every single month he has for the last seven years. We never asked, I promise you, we have never asked anybody for money. You people know that. I said, God, you're faithful. And the Lord said to me, never pray with hints. In other words, don't stand with a group of people and say, Lord, provide for us, we've got nothing. That's faith with hints. <laughs> I call it faith with hints. <laughs> Just take it before him. Sorry, we need two more minutes. Sorry, she needs the mic again. We're coming to an end. We really are. Just the one thing that I want to share. When we came here, my mom was dying. We knew she wouldn't live very long, and our kids had decided they wouldn't come, and they were at an age they could make that decision. We got on the plane, I actually said to the Lord, I'm not doing this. I know it's your will. I know I'm supposed to go, but I'm going home when I get there. But nonetheless, the Lord had 18 hours with me, and so that worked out. But um, the faithfulness of God, we had some air miles, and we had sold uh, one car, um, and we put that money aside so we could go back and visit South Africa. My mom lived for seven years, uh, seven months, seven after months we got you. after we got you. During that time, I was able to go back three times. Now, in South Africa, we had lived six hours apart, so I would go up and down to see her because she wasn't well. 
Do you know that I saw my mom the same amount of time as I would have as if I was living in South Africa? So it's the finance he's faithful in, but it's the heart things he's faithful in. How good is our God? I saw my mom up until just literally shortly before she died. I was with her all the time. And I I speak in all the rest of it, but God's faithful in the matters of the heart. He's faithful in finance. He's faithful in every aspect of our lives. Okay. Two more minutes. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I just want to finish. Sorry. (laughs) Paul said halfway through Philippians, finally. So I'll say finally. We're halfway through. (laughs) So we obviously, we love this church, we're part of it, we're not on leadership, but we have the privilege of serving you as best as we can when we can, but we have to facilitate us going to the nations as well, because that's what the Lord said we must do, so that's what we do, that's what Restoring the Worlds is about, and we live out of that, the money that goes in there doesn't come to us, it goes there, and then we live out of that, and it pays for our travel, so all the churches we go to, some of them give us honorariums, but all the honorariums and all the expenses we spend in order to get there, the honorariums cover that, but it doesn't cover our income. And by the grace of God, the money that's gone into the ministry has covered our income. That's how we live. And I said to Michelle about, I'm just being, I don't know how else to be so on. About a year ago, the money in our account was coming down and coming down and coming down. Now I'm starting to think, what am I going to do? What am I going to Anyway. So I said to Michelle, when it gets to a certain level, tell me, because then maybe I need to go find a job, just a half-day job or whatever the case is. And I didn't know, but it had gone under that level. It's like two months left in there for us to live. And then a couple came to us and said, we want to take you for dinner. So I said, oh, that's nice. Let's go for dinner. So we went for dinner, and even before we started the dinner, they gave us an envelope. And it was a sum of money. (laughs) God is faithful. It's unbelievable how God is faithful. Even in my duplicity of thinking, sometimes God is faithful. From the day we said yes to him to go into ministry, he has not stopped providing for us. That was 33 years ago. He is faithful. Folk, don't let the promises over your life go to waste. I'm encouraging you. God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Hold unswervingly to the hope you profess, for he who promised is faithful. Father, I thank you that I'm able to stand and give that testimony to your glory and honor not because of anything we did that was great, but because of your greatness, your faithfulness, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your sustainability, what you say you do. 
what you say you do. We want to thank you. I want to thank you. My wife and I want to thank you. Thank you. you're true and faithful. You're true and faithful. Let that sink deeper into us. Let it sink deeper into us that you are good. No matter what we go through, you cannot deny yourself you're good and faithful. Bless your precious people, Lord. Let your faithfulness be so evident in their lives that they will like have a picture in my mind of you or walking around with your mouth open. What? Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Bless you all. Thank you. Where's Tommy? He couldn't hold on any longer. Oh, he's sorry. You do this to me every time. That's the best part. Ken, thank you. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. There are stories and stories and stories and stories of God's faithfulness from people here, from people who know people here. They're going to keep coming. God is faithful. Thank you for hanging on with us. Next, uh, this coming Saturday, One Hope Ministries is holding a back-to-school fiesta. Donate so things like these can get in the hands of kids who need them. Is this coming Saturday. There's more info out in the lobby uh, on your way out. We love you. Be blessed. Have a great week. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We're glad you've joined us today. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're visiting us, any needs or comments you may have, or how we can connect with you. To submit a card, simply scan the QR code in the back of your seats or visit the Connect page on our website. We would love to connect with you. And if you are a first-time visitor, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome back. We look forward to meeting you. Baptism Sunday. Join us as we celebrate with those who have decided to be baptized. Water baptisms will be held on August 7th after the service at the Pool's home in Leesburg. If you would like to learn more or sign up to be baptized, please follow the QR code or visit the events page on our website. Back to School Fiesta is back! On Saturday, August 13, One Hope Ministries is holding their annual back-to-school fiesta. Help support this amazing cause by providing needed supplies, folders, notebooks, and snacks, or you can sponsor a child's backpack by donating online. One Hope Ministries is also in need of volunteers for the day of the event. See our events page for more information and to sign up. Do you have friends who would be blessed by listening to our messages in Spanish? Well, we now have Spanish translation available for Sunday services. They would just download the app Interactio, enter the event code FLCVA, and listen through the headphones for real-time translation. ¿Tienes amigos que serían bendecidos si pudieran escuchar el mensaje en español? 
Bueno, ahora tenemos traducción al español en vivo para nuestros servicios de domingo. Simplemente descarga la aplicación Interactio e ingresa el código del evento FLCVA y escucha a través de los audífonos para traducción en tiempo real. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving, and we invite you to give toward the work God is doing. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here with your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary, and we thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of all our upcoming events and important announcements by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. And don't forget to visit our website to stay informed of all what's coming to free life. Thanks for joining us today and have a wonderful week.